the head of human performance at TRX, know a little something about humans, and know a hell of a lot about performance. Chris Frankel of the massively successful TRX walks us through his role and the training philosophy behind the brand. In a market like strength and conditioning where anything works, what sets this product and complementary programming above the others? Chris drops a little wisdom on our listeners, explaining that movement is the forgotten focus of fitness. That means you don't put a Ferrari in a Volkswagen chassis, people. When you are really, really ridiculously fit, you can set yourself up for catastrophic injury if your movement looks like dog shit. Learn how TRX has taught the military, pro athletes, and normal jabronis like you and me how to move better through activating the proper musculature. This is episode 257. Ladies and gentlemen, it is that time again for your local Austin weather. We are sitting at approximately 68 degrees, I'd say. It's beautiful. Very clear skies. Uh, Oh, wait a minute. Hold on. I thought this was the premier podcast in strength and conditioning. That's right. Never mind. You are listening to the premier podcast in strength and conditioning. This is Power Athlete Radio. Radio. Oh, oh, oh. oh. Ooh, another double echo. Oh, oh, question mark? Yes, no, maybe. This episode is brought to you by (laughs) Power Athlete. (laughs) I thought you were going to go somewhere else with it, but Power Athlete. Uh, (laughs) Not to be confused with with the the Power power Exchange. Uh, But people... Listen, if you are a coach and you need to up your technical prowess or you want to join the network of Power Athlete Block One coaches, your journey starts with semester five of the Power Athlete Methodology course. (sighs) Insert cheering. Yeah, we've opened up registration, people. PAHQ.co slash PA-academy. We've talked about this various times in the history of this podcast and since its inception one year ago when we launched this course. There are 100 spots open, Text, What are they going to learn? Well, we're going to essentially lay a foundation to become a battle-tested strength and conditioning coach. So we use... Definition of athleticism brought to you by John Wellborn to create a base level of knowledge in which you can apply to fundamental novice athletes or advanced athletes or your general population gym members. They are tried and true strength and conditioning principles and the beauty of the program and what I enjoy the most about this course is we give you bedrock to apply as we unlock strength and conditioning so you can see these principles unfold right before your eyes. So we have quiz questions associated with this to check in with your knowledge and make sure you are pulling out the most appropriate information to then apply to your athletes. So you've heard it here, people. Get your shit together. And listen, here's what this is. This is an online at your own pace course. You have access for a year. If that's not going to work out for you, I happen to know the guy who admins it. And if you need a month or two after that, we're good guys. If you're a good guy, you're a good gal, we'll help you out. But here's the thing. It's going to take you maybe two, three, four months. If you work on this a couple hours a week, you have 44 lessons. You have five plus hours of video lecture. You can watch yours truly, John Wellborn, Luke Summers, Tex McQuilkin, spout sick hot knowledge at you. And then the thing is you test, you're going to quiz each section. You have a final exam. If you satisfactorily pass the course, you get an invite to Power Athlete HQ Ranch to earn your handcrafted steel block Mm. from Power Athlete HQ. Text John and I, we are mostly John though, (laughs) are in there grinding out literally and piecing together these blocks. We want nothing more than for folks to show up 
prove their technical prowess. Their and earn that block because I got to make these motherfuckers. Their comprehension of the ability and earn and walk away with that block and truly a life-changing experience. We've got over 40 coaches in our network right now who have adequately showed up and tested and have their block and all of them will fucking give you ranting, raving reviews. Our goal is to make you a better coach and we do. That's what we do. And if you need that, if you need this, we are your people. Okay? But enough about us. Let's get on to our guest. We have the director of programming of the most sophisticated belt I've ever seen. The TRX. Uh, I thought you were going to say strap on. <laughs> no. <laughs> the most sophisticated. The power exchange. The, power exchange. the, most, <laughs> the most efficient, well-constructed strap on. I mean, straps that are on the on power exchange. Ladies and gentlemen. Enough about that. Strap yourself in. <laughs> oh, I see what you did there. For our guest, Chris Frankel. Hey, hey pleasure to meet you guys. It's uh, uh, I've been a uh, I've been following you guys for a while, and um, I uh, I got into this industry fuck before probably any of you guys were born. I got my first coaching job, nineteen seventy nine. Mm-hmm. Uh, so up until ten years ago, I'd I'd always just been a teacher and a coach. Took my first my wife calls it my first real job with TRX about ten years ago. Up until then. Taught uh, elementary school, middle school, high school, community college, four-year college, and was teaching the grad program at University of New Mexico when I took this gig over. But I'm just a meathead from from back in the day. I got my first uh, my first taste of it in the early '80s. Uh, There's a guy named Dan Riley who, at the time, was with the Redskins, who was you know one of the one of the fathers of Hit before Hit had two eyes in it. <laughs> and uh, it was uh, it, it was I was I'm kind of that typical athlete who wasn't quite good enough to be you know big time like some of you guys over there but fucking worked hard and loved to get my ass beat so that got me that got me here then I fell into um school I was I was the worst high school student in the world (laughs) worst college student in the world and then something happened and I became a halfway decent uh scientist so now I I did all my grad work at University of New Mexico and uh, been a physiologist for about 20 years Kind of a stray, but Tex and I were just talking about this today about how, and we've talked in the past about fucking school and like, what, what is, what is the point of high school, right? What is the point of college? You know, depending on the college you go to, you get a different education, but it's just, you know, and I don't probably the more on the N equals one tail end of that deviation, right? Another example of a guy who's just, it didn't fucking switch back then, man. You know, but high school and college did its job. It taught you social responsibility and fucking kept you out of trouble. Well, probably more trouble than <laughs> than you could have got in without it, right? Shit. Yeah, okay, yeah. I got you. But you know, I because we were talking about a buddy of mine, and he's young. He's younger than I am, but I consider him a little brother. And he's just never fucking school was school was not his thing. Period. You know, but here he is now on the cusp of taking an entrepreneurial leap, and uh, I think he's going to do great. You know, uh, regardless of the marks he had leading up to that point. Yeah, but it's not like they teach entrepreneurialism in uh, in school. I mean, I don't ever remember ever having a class about that. And I think that's where, you know, we're deficient. And oddly enough, a guy on Twitter hit me up and was like, you know, I think you're totally wrong on your assessment of public education. And I was like, how so? 
What? So do you know? <sighs> well, uh, he listens to the podcast, and when we were on, do you know which assessment though? Not that uh, the deal that I that I came up with, and what I've always you know, and, and having a you know a, a done master's work in education at Berkeley. Um, oh, the state's responsibility. Well, well, like shit? yeah, like I've always I've always felt that it was not the state or the government's responsibility to educate your children. Uh, I figured that was you as a parent, and I also found that people that were just so willing to turn their kids over with no oversight and just let them learn. And then the idea of, uh, you know, kind of this industrial revolution kind of model where we're going to, you know, create little factory workers and, yeah. you know, program people to memorize stuff over and over again and then, you know, regurgitate then walk away and forget it. And like, you know, not necessarily encouraging free thinking, not like, you know, and now we see like this, um, you know, pulling out of like uh, music and art and some of the things that I felt were, you know, developed creativity and which I think helps in so many ways. And so uh, I just think that we are not flexible and not evolving the way we're teaching our kids for the new horizons. Like we're stuck in this like 1950s model of education when it's not, you know, I don't think it's, it's, uh, the, let me put it like this. I don't think education, the way we're educating our kids is evolving as fast as all the other things that are evolving and the way we're doing it. And all we're trying to do is instead of going back and looking at a different way, we're just trying to stop gap it with technology. Chris, well, we'll just put uh, iPads in there. Chris, well, do you have children? I do. We have uh, we have five kids. We got. Uh, oh. I got three daughters. One's twenty six. One's fifteen. One's thirteen. So a lot of uh, estrogen in this house. We got two boys. <laughs> um, two boys that we that we adopted back in the back in the day. Both are twenty five. One of them. Uh, uh, one of them just moved back in with us, which is a good thing. But yeah, I mean, you want to talk education, dude? We go. Yeah. We go all day. Everything you just hit up on, agree one hundred percent. But you look back at. Um, uh, you know, shit. The ancient Greeks—they were like, "Hey, the whole point of uh, education was to create a good citizen, you know, not a good worker." And we've kind of lost that whole idea because now, oh, it's, how about that? Well, we look. Well, we got rid of eth- uh, civics. Sure. I mean, uh, like the one thing that blew me away is um, with all the, you know, the the gun violence and uh, those kids, you know, protesting. And I was listening to all these, you know, high school kids talk about protesting and this. And I was also in Florida and I'm like, do these kids even have civics anymore? Do they even know the way the constitution and the government, like the one kid got up there and was like, you know, we need to repeal this thing. We, you know, we can start a, a revolution here in Florida to repeal the second amendment. I'm like, do you know what it takes to uh, repeal an amendment in the co- or, uh, you know, constitutional amendment? Like, and uh, like, no civics class and like you know because we just got rid of that now it's First social off, studies i do not know and i can fucking tell you for a fact when i was <laughs> two, 16 17 two thirds years of the st- old, dude i didn't fucking know. i knew that shit and because we had fucking civics and not government me. i not didn't me. have i didn't have civics I had home ec, bro. we had civics and government we had to take a government I, I class government, that taught yeah. you about the constitution and how it works and this just like these guys probably don't know what the dewey decimal system is oh i know that one you know, uh, but like these things, yeah, you don't know what the Dewey Decimal System is. Is that the abacus? Yeah. <laughs> so back in the day, you're going to love this. So back in the day when you went to the library, the mm. way you found books, they were coded within something called the Dewey Decimal System. Yeah, but so it was like non-sequential and non-modular. It was a mixture of like oh, yeah. integer and alphanumeric. Uh, like it was a whole, or alphas. So it, like, yeah, there was a whole. Fascinating. Yeah. Dewey was a smart fucking man. Yeah, and he came up with this whole thing. And it's I think, that, system, and they really. still use it at the Library of Congress. So if you ever want to go there, check a book out, you got to know that. Um, but Before we jump uh, off the education kick, I mean, here, here's what, uh, you know, the two things that I always like to say, my mom, my mom used to say, hey, A students run the world and C students have to come along and fix it after them. So this kind of whole blue collar mentality of, uh, 
sometimes you get too smart for your own good. And I've, I've definitely been there. And when we start talking about kind of the strength and conditioning world, I think we all have been, oh. got a little too, too into the Amen. theory and forgot how to practice it. Mm-hmm. But probably my best experience teaching when I was teaching at university of New Mexico, university of New Mexico is not one of your richer States. And so I would say, 40 to 60% of the students we had in, in college were first generation uh, kids going to school. And so there was a good, there was a good group of us that was like telling them shit, you know what the job you guys are going to take haven't been invented yet. My job is to teach you how to learn, not the, not the information I'm going to give you, but I got to teach you how to learn something, especially for my younger girls. I know that their, their job hasn't been in, uh, hasn't even been invented yet because the technology has gone so fast, but how can you give them a thirst for learning that is, yeah, the books are okay, but the books are obsolete by the time they get printed. But you're right. How do we keep them involved in art? How do we keep them involved? And in, how do we get that other side of the brain working on there? And yeah, I think we're, I think we're missing the boat on, on how we educate. I'll t- I will tell you, we do know the worst way to educate kids is to have a supposed expert stand up in front of a class and lecture to them. For 90 That's fucking minutes. Ass handed yeah. to us by, you know, the other countries that do it a completely different way with critical thinking and problem solving, which is. Well, and, and they also, uh, a lot of the other countries, and I remember when we looked at different education models, especially like the Scandinavian countries, they um, really encouraged group activity. So like they, uh, they would give like a, an assignment and they would break up into small groups. And what they were more interested in is them coming to, you know, like leadership roles, figure out, you know, how, you know, share ideas. And they were more interested in the kids learning how to work together to, uh, uh to solve a problem and necessarily like bring something than they were, uh, just some form of rogue memorization. I just remember my dad always telling me like, don't let school get in the way of your education. <laughs> like your in this thing to like become the best critical thinker you can learn to read and write and analyze information to the best of your ability and if you can do that it doesn't matter what you do you'll always have a a, you know a usable skill Um, and I remember uh, having this conversation with my girlfriend at the time who was an art history major and thinking to myself Uh, like, like, I mean, and it was basically like this memorization, but the thing about it was like, you know, like you think about critical thinking and being able to take in information and be able to make opinions and stuff. I mean, I don't really think I was a very practical major, but it did kind of meet the demands of, you know, what my dad talked about. Yeah, I've gotten a few arguments with art history majors at University of George Washington, just at DC bars, because it's one of the most expensive schools in the nation. And I'm sitting here like possibilities to be a curator of a something um, outside a, a library or a curator of just a limited job opportunity possibility. I know it's like Got a me D1, in trouble. D1 strength coach. Yeah. <laughs> That's why, you know, we get creative. That's why we're here, you know, on this podcast, because we're, we're going beyond the D1 strength coach and getting into the amazingness of this industry. Well, what we've looked at is taking the premier podcast and strength conditioning and expanding it into the idea of uh, strength conditioning for not only the mind, the body and soul and taking a holistic approach Tex, That's lovely. What do you think about that? Beautiful. <laughs> you love the word holistic. <laughs> not in like a hippie sense of the way, you know, having gone to Berkeley, when I hear the word holistic, I think I smell patchouli, uh, which makes me want to throw up. Um, and, uh, well, you right. know. I forgot you're a Berkeley guy. I'm, I'm a, I'm a California transplant. It's, 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 yeah. I, I'm not gonna lie. I like it out here, but it's uh it's an acquired, I grew up in DC. So okay. 
you guys just covered my two, uh, my two home bases. So where I lived, I lived on, uh, on telegraph. And as I would walk down, I'd walk to school. It was like, I kind of knew where I was based on the smells. So as I was walking, I'd be like, okay, it smells. And I'd be like, smell patchouli. And then you'd like a second later, it'd be like marijuana and then urine. And then you'd walk by some homeless dude who had like rotting maggots in his face. And you're like, Oh God. And then you would catch like a wind of like fresh air and then it'd be more patchouli and be like, Oh my God. And then B.O. Dude, that's like my house. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> uh, Berkeley was just like uh, the land of a million smells. So I just remember being there and being like, oh, my God, like this place is just like fucking just needs a bath. Like it just needs like the rain to come for seven days and wash it all away. But no, it was um, it was uh, you guys have heard me say this many times on the podcast. It was by far the best experience of my life because it uh, allowed me to see diversity and allowed me to see all sides of everything. I think sometimes people are stuck within this box like, hey, I grew up a white middle class kid in Southern California. I'm going to go to USC so I can hang out with other, you know, white middle class rich kids and uh, in South Central and then hang out in Manhattan Beach. But, um, you know, going to Berkeley, I think was a great opportunity for me. And there you have it. So I, I do want to get into some things. So we have mutual friend, like you mentioned, Ben Crookston of The Train Heroic, and he mentioned your approach to deliberate practice. So uh, Ben and I have had many a conversations, Anders and Anderson's work and, you know, debunking the 10,000 hour rule, some great combos there. So tell us about your experience with the, the practice of deliberate practice. You know, it's um, uh, like I said, Jim Rat, then exercise science instructor. So I got the science, you know, nobody ever has the science thing all the way down, but I got a pretty good foothold on it. But, you know, we, uh, my, my other hat that I wear in the TRX world is we're always trying to create a way to get information across to people. And so one of our taglines is, Hey, it doesn't matter how much, you know, it's only how much you can coach uh, that matters. I just stole that from the education only match you can teach. So how do you take these complicated things? Let's stay in this world for a minute, teaching uh, an Olympic lift or teaching a good kettlebell swing or teaching shit, teaching a push-up to, you know, the 18, 19 year old kids that are going into the military. Uh, and, and how do you break it down from a, from a whole to a part and then just have them focus on one component of it at a time. So I, I spent my time digging around and say, Hey, what are the, what are the best ways to teach people things? And uh, I, I'm always the guy to go to the original source. So when, you know, when Gladwell stuff came out, it looked kind of interesting, but I wanted to dig behind it and see what it was. And I was like, Oh, this whole idea of, mix of purposeful practice and then the whole idea of flow the whole chick sent me high kind of approach of how do you match your challenges to your abilities but then how do you take something like a uh, uh how do you take something simple like a push-up so my kids hate doing what i do they don't like working out uh the the one thing i will tell you if you guys don't have kids yet if you want them to do one thing just tell them to do the opposite thing so, uh, solid system. Uh, I got three kids and, uh, ironically, uh, they'll do whatever they see, uh, mom and dad do like, uh, yeah, but right now they're six, six and two. So maybe as these, the gals turn into, I don't know, 11, 12, 13 year olds, you might have to play a little bit more mind games. Uh, maybe that's what Chris is talking so about. So for any parents out there that have kids, it is totally acceptable to lie to them and give them and create the reality that you think they should have at a young age. And I'm like, what do you mean? Everybody eats a, uh, a diet like this. They're like, 
really? At school, they get these Lunchable things. I'm like, no, that, they're just pretending. That's yeah, those, not really what they eat. That's fake food. They're poison. Yeah, yeah. That's and then uh, I'll be like, oh, no. Uh, they, they were like, oh, uh, we heard about this thing called soda. I'm like, no, it's poison. You can't have it. <laughs> and they're like, oh, oh, like, dude, I, I create these like total lies. I'll be like, no, it's like, uh, you know, uh, I told them that they have a test for first grade. So when they go to first grade, they're going to have to be able to do 10 perfect push-ups and uh, 10 pull-ups. And so we go out and we work on the push-ups, we work on the pull-ups, like they work on this stuff. Like my, my, my daughters uh, both have, Keely's got 10, Jamie doesn't have them, but has like a legit 10 strict pull-ups. And, uh, uh, but like we work on it. I'm like, Hey, you know what? You're going to have to be able to string at least 10 cartwheels together. And so like, I came up with this whole like metric of like, um, a physical testing that they're going to have to be able to do the first day of first grade to get into public school because they go to Montessori now. And they're, I'm like, public school is going to be serious. You got to be able to do this. You're going to demonstrate or you're not going to be able to go. And they, uh, so they practice and they're like really nervous that they're not going to be able to pass their test for first grade. As an outside observer and a non-parent, <laughs> I can, I can confidently say that this web of lies has no backfire woven into it. <laughs> there will be absolutely no repercussions from this. Uh, I don't think so. You know, I, I, I think it makes total sense. I mean, I figure I can control this stuff until they're about 10 years old. And then after that, I just hope to God that like what we taught them is good. But I think it'll be pretty funny to be like, yeah, my dad totally lied to us and told us that we had to do all this like... <laughs> Push-ups and pull-ups, we went to first grade. It's like and, prison. Surpri- and surprisingly, we trained for it, and we got 10 pull-ups. Listen, girls, you're going to have to fight your way out. And I can kick out. your ass, which is yeah, the more right. important thing. Um, the, the other one is, is uh, so at Montessori, my, my girls are, you know, a kindergarten. They're getting ready to go to first grade in public school, but they're at Montessori. And, like, I guess a girl was, uh, was kind of, like, being mean to my one, because I have twin girls. So my one daughter comes home, and it's like, ah, you know, so-and-so pushed me. She's being mean to me. And then I asked my other daughter, I was like, well, what happened? Did you see it? She's like, oh, I wasn't outside when that went down. I was like, well, are you out there at the same time? And she's like, oh, yeah, I see it. You know, she was kind of being mean to Killy later on. And I was like, well, then what are you going to do about it? She's like, I don't know. What should I do? I'm like, I think you should annoy that girl. with." And because I told my one daughter her superpower is uh, basically getting under people's skin and being annoying. I'm like, you need to unleash your superpower of being annoying and annoy that girl till she leaves her daughter on. And like her eyes lit up and she's like, I can do it. I'm like, I believe in you. So every day I'm like, did you get her? She's like, oh, yeah, I was on her all day. She's just like one track mind on it. I'm like, good. That's your superpower. And then my other daughter's like, what's dude, my superpower? I like the fact that oh, dude, I, uh, dude, we, yeah, we work physical. on, yeah, we, we work on this stuff. I like, um, I just, I, like Luke said, it's either going to turn out really good or be really bad. <laughs> uh, I'm, <laughs> I'm too deep in it to, to change. You yeah. can do it with your kids. <laughs> no, no, I'm, I'm observing and I'm, I'm, it's approved. I'm just curious, like which lies are going to really surface and flip a switch and which are going to be like, Oh dad. <laughs> We didn't have to fight our way out of junior high. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe the world changes and they do. And they become saviors, right? That's right. You got to plan for it. Like I said, you don't know what's coming in the future. But, yeah, they better be able to deadlift and be able to deadlift yeah. and pull it. That's exactly well, what my, my kids know. When we get in the pool, we do this. Uh, we, we have a, um, a game called uh, Drown Proofing. So I, I make them swim around and I, and I, I basically just like kind of like go to the bottom of the pool and uh, as they swim around, I just grab them by the leg and pull them underneath and then they got to fight their way up and then I kind of let them go and I kind of wait and I wait and I yank them down. We call it sharks and minnows or drown proofing. Oh, and so go. that's the one they like swim around and I basically, and then like other kids will come over and they'll be like, Oh dad, you want to play sharks and minnows? I'm like, no, we shouldn't play. <laughs> these, these parents are going to freak the, freak the fuck out when they see that I'm pulling you guys underneath and trying to fight against you guys to fight. And then they say, ask, we do the same thing. We just, 
just didn't call it drown proofing because I was going to say you might want to work on that name. But yeah, I, I hear you. That's a, that's we we actually had a game when I was a kid growing up in our pool, and it was actually called Drowndom. And what happened is, is that <laughs> you go in the deep part of the pool, the person gets you from behind in their best hold, and then holds you under, and you have to fight your way out. And uh, that was our game. That definitely sounds like a game that a younger brother played with his older brothers. <laughs> no, know? no. It was like, hey, John, go to the middle of the pool. We're going to try to drown you. Okay. It sounds like a great game. It's called the game. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah. So well, it's like uh, they, don't, they don't play murder ball anymore. Remember, it was like yeah. you have 40 kids on the playground. There'd be one ball and whoever got it, it was one on 40. It's no. just how it worked. That was how life fucking worked back then. Now, can you imagine if you did that? Uh, no, we do. We do. We do grow in the right directions in some areas. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's true. Yeah, no, there it's go uh, from, from that to murder. I, I, I'll take murder over that one. Uh, sure. But like, I mean, um, so the one thing that really struck me when I was doing my master's work is um, I taught in the Oakland public school district and I had a bunch of kids. I was like went in and I uh, was working with like a bunch of like high school seniors trying to help them because they had to do like a reading test and a writing deal. And uh, about 30 percent of the kids that I worked with couldn't read. And I remember telling the teacher, I'm like, they're, they're not going to be able to pass. I, I can't pass them. They're, um, they can't read. Like, how are we going to graduate them? And they were like, ah, we can't warehouse them, so we got to get them out of here. And actually, my thesis uh, was uh, junior college is where you learn to read, which is a direct quote from one of the girls that I had in my class. She's like, oh, I don't have to read. Junior college is where you learn to read. And I remember thinking, like, that's probably a true statement, but that's kind of a failure on not only our education deal, but as parents – like, uh, my daughters are, you know, six and they could read, you know, pretty well, sit down and read to me. And we read every night is, uh, by when they were five. And now my little, my son's two and he sits there and they take turns reading in books and, um, like those skills they will have before they go to school. So I just, I just think it's kind of weird. And this is what I always tell people. I'm like, you have to be active participant in your kid's education and make sure that you want it. And like, if there's something that they need to learn, then like you need to teach them. You just can't hope that they're going to go to school and get it. Well, teaching them how to learn, which Chris, you mentioned earlier. So let's get into that process, man. How do you teaching these military guys how to do push-ups for the first time or even the Olympic lifts for more advanced athletes? I'll, I'll take, I'll take a step back before we get to the military. Sorry. No, it, no it, it, it's all on the same line. So, uh, 85, 90% of the business at TRX on the education side of the house is, you know, fitness professionals and God bless them. Some have been in the industry for 30 years with advanced degrees. Some people woke up last Monday, looked in the mirror and said, shit, I'm going to be a personal trainer. So how do you find a way to have a, have a system to teach that can be engaging for the new people, but then, you know, have some layers of the onion to go a little bit deeper for the old, uh, the, the old dogs in the game. Uh, so what we did, and we're not the first ones to do it, we just identified, hey, we're going to identify what we call our foundational movements. So we did plank, push, pull, rotate, hinge, squat, lunge, and then we kind of added in step and we added in twist and bend. But the whole idea there was, you know, how, how can we give you a, a competency-based approach to training? I mean, this isn't how we talk to the athletes, but this is basically what we said. Hey, I need to know that you have stacked your body in the right way. I got to make sure that your spine's going to be safe, that, you know, if I can give you some proximal stability around the spine. I know I can create some distal mobility around the shoulder, go around the hips, and then you kind of, kind of get the, uh, the mechanics working right across that way. So we actually spend quite a bit of time, and I stole this, uh, this approach from, from Pavel, the kettlebell guru, on what they call their hard style plank, which is really being intentional and taking uh, a really easy position and making it as hard as possible. So in one of our courses, or a lot of times I'll, I'll lecture, we'll spend 10 or 15 minutes getting people to... Hey, just show me what your plank is because everybody knows 
with a plank is they get down there and everybody looks like shit. Their back is bent or their hips are up or their shoulders are rounded forward. So we give them a couple of things. Hey, pick one arm up off the ground, flip your hand up, lift it up. So they realize they can't manage it. So what's going through our head is uh, they're thinking about accomplishing a task as opposed to so knowledge of results. Can I hit a, can I hit a plank as opposed to knowledge of performance? How am I putting myself into that position? So then we'll stand them up and we'll run through this variation of what Pavel does, know what a high tension on the front of the body, back of the body, side, side. We get them back down, get themselves stacked up, get this high tension, and all of a sudden they can lift that one arm up off the ground without tilting or rotating. Uh, they can take a narrower stance. And so they have, um, they have what everybody calls an aha moment. I call it an oh fuck moment for finally understanding critical knowledge. So you can have an oh fuck moment, or you can have a failing to understand critical knowledge, which is an oh fuck moment. Uh, so the whole idea there is how can we just break down one thing and then we just try to prioritize those things. And so once we go from fitness or stay within fitness and go to athletes or go to the military, where do we see most either energy leaks or energies or, or injuries coming from people not being able to manage their spine in three-dimensional space, people not being able to drive, uh, power from where it should be driven from hips, shoulder girdle, T spine, you know, not, not getting your, uh, not turning your prime movers into stabilizers. Uh, so just putting them in environments to let them do that. So it just so happens that um, I continue to work for TRX because the strap is just a really great environment to do self-checks. That if you can't manage your position or a movement in a single anchor point, you'll start to see yourself lose balance. So you just get immediate feedback in that whole environment. So you just start to see all these, whole, uh, these ideas of purposeful practice come in. Hey, I need immediate feedback. Hey, I need to be focusing on small things before I put them together in the big thing. And I need some kind of leadership. Or I need some kind of mentorship. So I need somebody to follow along those lines. Uh, so I'd say the first time I rolled in front of the Marine Corps, I was, you know, I never served. My dad served. My son served. My nephew served. So I'm, I was like the shit generation who really didn't do much. So now it's my, uh, my turn to try and give back. But uh, our, our government team, who were all uh, uh, former Marines or army or navy or coast guard they would take me along as a subject matter expert so the first time i walked into a, a group of marines down at pendleton uh, it's about 15 20 guys in there so i just held up the straps and said hey how many of you guys think this is bullshit and they all raised their hands so we went outside with their pull-up bars we just took them through you know a few burpees on there a few rows on there we walked back inside and all of a sudden everybody was paying attention uh and then this whole idea of i just need to get you to be able to move well first. Uh, and everybody looks at me like I'm fucking crazy. And I say, no, movement is the forgotten component of fitness. Hey, what do you think? You want to get strong? You want to get fast? Uh, we want to do a VO2 max. We want to do one RM. We want to look at your velocity-based training. The assumption is that you can move well. Well, now we have to define what we mean by move well. What muscles should be turned on? What should be turned off? What should be stable? What should be mobile? And how can I not lecture you on that? How can I honor off the straps, put you in an environment where you start to see I'm failing and now instead of me just saying, go faster, be better, be stronger, hey, I need you to pat that shoulder. I need you to hide your ribs. I need you to give me a level belt line. And so now I'm giving you external cues to stabilize that spine. And now all of a sudden they can feel, and this is just taken from the Army, they now know what right looks like and what right feels like. And so once you kind of have them bought in on that, hey, I can get you in a position that now you feel more comfortable on, we can now spin that into everything else we do. So for every foundational movement, we have a set of standards for a hinge. It should be max hip, min, minimal knee. But I need you to do that on a stable spine. 
So if I start to see you do a swing or if I see, start to see that point of separation on the deadlift and you start to lose that good stiff spine position, I take you out of that. I put you in a position, either lift you up on blocks, take you away from a swing, put you to a, uh, uh, a just deadlift. Uh, so you know how to manage that body piece. And so you put it all together. And then all of a sudden, they're, 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 the lights go on and they go, oh, this is what it feels. How come I feel this in my abs now? I say, because motherfucker, you've been doing it with your low back all these years. And it's not that your low back isn't strong enough. It's that you just haven't connected your head to your body. Uh, and that's, that's kind of a, a, a long and dirty way of saying that's how we approach purposeful practice. Don't worry about what's in your hand. Don't worry about the task at hand. How can you manage these different parts of your body? And how do we prioritize? How do we prioritize? Manage the spine. Uh, we talk a lot about... Um, if we say foundational movements are the alphabet, we say you got to know how to plank, you got to know how to pull, and you got to know how to hinge. And those are the vowels in there. Because once I know you can stabilize your spine, I need to know that you're initiating your pulls with, uh, oh, I know we're, we're not video on this. I need to know, know you're initiating those pulls with scapular depression and retraction on top of a stable spine. And once I know you can do that, I know you can turn that pull into a push. But now I know I'm protecting your spine, I'm protecting your shoulder. And all of a sudden they say, oh, you mean my lat goes down and, it, it, you know, the origin's actually down in my low back by, by my pelvis? Yes. Yeah, so it opens up all these other, other pathways in there. And then the hinge, you guys know this, if I can teach you how to hinge, I can teach you how to squat. I can teach you how to lunge. I can teach you how to step. I can teach you how to do all these things. Uh, but it, it's all these things we assume people know how to do. Uh, and if you're not an athlete and uh, if you're not, a, that's actually, that's not true. Sometimes athletes are the worst coaches because it comes natural to them. I got, I got a feeling John didn't have a whole lot of uh, trouble learning how to be, you know, a terror on the field. And uh, in my experience at different levels of football, you got guys who are killers on the field and terrible in the weight room. And you got guys that are killer in the weight room and have the worst case of uh, no contact courage on the planet. How do you start to blend all these things together? So it's, it's uh, when we talk about physical education and, you know, I see the sore neck sticker on there. When we talk about physical culture, that's what this whole idea of purposeful practice in the weight room is. How do you build a culture of movement where, and this is where the, the, the military is now starting to listen to other people is uh, we know that your, your physical fitness tests to continue to be push-ups, sit-ups, running. And if you're in the Marine Corps pull-ups, and if you get a high score, it's good for you. But we know that if you're not moving well, the fitter you are, the higher chance you have of getting injured because you're out there now driving that, uh, uh, putting that Ferrari engine in a, in a Volkswagen chassis and you're going to break that thing off. So probably longer answer than you were looking for, but we've just tried to absorb this whole blend of purposeful practice, uh, coaching, teaching, flow states of matching abilities to, uh, to challenges and make it really easy. Uh, and if you guys are able to make it up to Austin, you're going to see us kind of break into some of those things as we go. Yeah, that's a, a beautiful line that I wrote down here. Movement is the forgotten focus of fitness. And that is the first time we're hearing it, but not the first time that we've no, seen it, that violated. Yeah, no, it's a good articulation of something that um, 
uh, we or me, we have observed over the last 10 years. I mean, like you said, uh, you know, I first, uh, you know, cut my teeth and once I retired from the NFL working with the CrossFit community and um, there is at no point where uh, movement was abandoned for the idea of I'm just going to go hard and I'm trying to be fit by increased work capacity, broad time, modal domains and looking at it and being like, I don't care how fit you are. If it looks that ugly, uh, you're not moving in a good direction. I mean, I mean, people aesthetically, I mean, just this natural intrinsic coaches, I know what, uh, you know, I mean, we're designed to, to observe symmetry. I mean, we know beauty is symmetry. And all of a sudden you see somebody do something. I'm like, if it looks bad where you cringe, uh, why would you keep adding gas to this? And that was, you know, and you, you Ch- heard Charlie it, Francis, if yeah. it don't look right, don't fly, fly yeah. right. Yeah. Charlie Francis. I mean, you heard at the, you know, we were laughing. We found some pictures from, uh, when Chris originally came to the first cross of football seminar in 09 and you heard us day one, say the same exact thing. Um, you know, I mean, believe me, nobody gives points for effort. Nobody gets a fucking Super Bowl ring. Cause you tried hard. It's about execution, uh, perfection of movement. You know, the, like you said, the aha moment when you watch a guy run down the field and make an amazing catch or move in space and do these things because they're a master of movement. And, uh, you know, they've taken their craft to such a high level that, you know, now they're able to execute it with intensity and, in, uh, you know, an arena, and uh you know bad technique and just replicating dog shit results in fucking getting cut so no that's a, a lot of valid points yeah we we i forgot who i stole this from i the only thing i've ever come up with on my own that i'm kind of proud of is the finally understanding critical knowledge oh fuck because it gives me reason to say that but we, we talk about guys that when you see good movement it's like porn for the most part you can't tell why it's good but you know it's good same thing on the bad side so what we've tried to do from kind of this, you know, Western science approaches. Uh, how can I, because yeah, if you've got an experienced coach's eye, if you've been in the game, you know, 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years, you can watch somebody walk in the room and before they do anything, probably anticipate what's going to happen. But if you can't scale that shit, you know, shame on you. I mean, the whole, the, the, last, the last point of good science is being able to replicate and share your findings on there. So that's why this concept of, hey, a hinge should be, I want to see, pretty much a vertical shin. I want to see minimal knee flexion extension. I want to see maximal hip flexion extension. And I want to see that spine stay nice and easy. So if I can now give new coaches or really old coaches, just one or two things to look at and prioritize them as you go down the line, we're finding that that scales real well, not only on the fitness side of the house, but on the, on the military side of the house where you now have your drill instructors or your, uh, in the Marine Corps, they, just, they launched something called the force fitness program where you have these people that don't, don't have exercise physiology backgrounds, don't have coaching backgrounds. They've done their best uh, PRT scores or they have a passion for it. But now can you drop in and say, hey, when you're watching them do deadlift, kettlebell swing, anything that, you know, RDL, anything that looks like a hinge, it should have these qualities. And uh, we, we got to be involved with, uh, they have a, on the MWR side, they have something called high intensity tactical training, which was an entire program. And I got to be involved in help developing that. Now they've taken some of those same concepts over to what they call the green side of the house. And they've adopted our foundational movement approach, not just to be able to column things, but so now you line up 30, 50, 100 drill instructors or coaches or athletes and say, this is what a hinge should pretty much look like. And then when you get in front of leadership or you get in front of uh, propeller head PhD people, uh, you can dig down and say, hey, this is what's going on from a motor control perspective. This is what we're getting from a tissue tolerance perspective. So it's, it's been really neat to kind of take that and run with it. And this was a conversation I, I just had with Ben. He and I were in D.C. together. What, uh, 
what my generation has done a shitty job of, and really the generations before, before me, to a certain extent, we've done a shitty job of curating our knowledge to be able to pass on to the next generation of strength and conditioning coaches because it's, it's fucking bullshit. You guys have to go back and learn everything all over again. And the fact that, you know, uh, you know great, Kershansky, Madviev, Solyanov, it's great to know all these guys. I'm a little frustrated that unless you have a Russian last name, or you have a fucking accent from the UK, Australia. Nobody thinks of you as a good sports scientist, but you know why they've done such a good job? It's because they've documented and they've curated and they've done a good job of passing these things down. And in the US, we've just done a shit job uh, of doing that. So I'm I'm trying to I'm I'm trying to be part of that, you know, old guy thing of, you know, how do we start to pass this down to to the younger generation? Because they are gonna take what we've done and make it better, which is what it should be. But if we can speed that up and you guys don't have to spend 10 or 15 years, you know, making the same mistakes, that, that that's a good thing. It's pretty interesting <clears throat> with that said, you know, it's just this idea of proprietary training, right? And uh, the magical sets, reps, and percentages. But, you know, we take a similar approach with primal movement or primal movement taxonomy grouping uh, that you do with your fundamentals, you know, in our squat step lunge. And we share quite a bit of we're aligned on that. Um, at what point do you think technology, like some of these, how, how is TRX and how y'all aligning with or fucking dismissing some of the new technology coming out that, you know, may or may not be gimmick, you know? Um, I'm just curious what, what you all are, like, do you have a, uh, are you dedicated to evaluating that, seeing how that could help either iterate or help innovate what you all do with your programming and, and your product? Yeah, I mean, first of all, we're, we're in Silicon Valley. And like you, like you saw when I tried to get on here, I, I barely know how to fucking use my phone. If I have a problem, I got to... <laughs> call my 13 or 15 year old to come in and help me with it. But, you know, we, we are a, um, I'm the first one to say in addition to have, you know, having legitimate ADD, sometimes I, I think I have some bipolar in me as well. Cause you look at the straps, they are the least technologically advanced thing on the planet. It's a pair of tie down straps with handles on it. Yeah. Well, but it, yeah. And time out, man. I mean, they started, it was used, it was a fucking belt, wasn't it? It was uh, it was, yeah, a, a jujitsu Guy Belt, mm-hmm. uh, and then Randy Hetrick, our, our founder, CEO, uh, former SEAL guy. Um, they apparently SEALs know how to sew shit pretty well, so he just <laughs> sewed it onto some uh, parachute webbing and threw it over a door and uh, and went to, went to town on it. I mean, it's but you know when when we say technology, and it's it's uh, coincident that's the one of the presentations I'm working on. Technology, if you look it up, in depending which dictionary you're at, it, technology is the application of uh, scientific principles to some kind of practical application. We always jump to engineering, but when you talk about a platform, so your primal movements, our foundational movements, that's a technology platform. It's yeah, a way yeah, to yeah. organize and curate information. But I think that, you know, the question you were really asking is how, how are we getting after technology? We use it um, on a business side of it. We partnered with a company called Fizmodo, uh, and we, we have this, uh, uh, this product called MAPS. It stands for Mobility Activation Posture and Symmetry. Uh, long story short, it uses infrared camera, uh, and you walk up to one, and it's 3D motion capture. Uh, no, don't have to put anything on you. You do three overhead squats, uh, and as soon as you get up there, it identifies your skeleton, and it'll tell you. It's I'm just I've just been calling it integrated goniometry. So an overhead squat, I can tell you uh, what's your knee angle, what's your hip angle, what's your thigh 
relative to the floor, side to side, asymmetrical, symmetrical, what's going on at the shoulder. So the reason we, the reason we uh, got in bed with these guys was one, uh, the science is legit. Uh, it took them six months to convince me, sending me all their white papers that they were actually getting good data. They opened up their skirt a little bit and let me see some of the algorithms on the back end because I have a, I have a, a statistics background as well. But we wanted to have the conversation of, hey, if movement is the forgotten component of fitness, if I can't measure it, I can't manage it. So if I can spend 30 seconds or 45 seconds and just see where you are today from a range of motion standpoint and a motor control standpoint, now I have a better idea how I need to train you today. Um, so if you come in and your hips and knees are lit up, we're going to spend a little bit more time doing some kind of mobilization, whatever you want to do, uh, movement prep to get you going. But now I can throw you back up there and say, hey, this stuff I just had you do was supposed to you know, give you more mobility in your hips. And instead of me looking at you and going, oh, yeah, it looks like you got more mobility in your hips. Or are you going, yeah, I feel better. At some point, I want to have some numbers on there to, one, validate what I'm doing is right. But two, to be able to look at trends over time. Because right now, technology is kind of confirming what we think we know. The, the real value of, of technology and data is can be able to predict things that are going to happen in the future. Right now, most technology is what we call a lagging indicator. By the time your heart rate variability is starting to shrink, or by the time you're losing range of motion, we've already managed to break you a little bit. But if I can see something that is going to say, hey, if I continue down this path, I have a higher risk of injury. So uh, I'm, I'm a big fan of FMS concept. I'm a big fan of, of Gray, Cook, and Lee Burton. I think that's can be used as a leading indicator. It's just sometime a little time consuming, but he was Gray was really the one who you know sparked my interest, and I he might be one of the you know pioneers in the area that got people to think about movement as something we really need to address. So we've gone down that technology road. Um, I'm a big fan of velocity based stuff, not so much in practice, but to be able to figure out is the programmer doing what it's supposed to be doing. And then, um, you know, the, the heart rate stuff, the, you know, the, the workload stuff. But uh, if you haven't read the book uh, by McKenzie and uh, Galpin and Phil White, Unplugged, that's where I think we're going. We're, we, we should be using technology as kind of a, uh, a tool, not a taskmaster, to check in to make sure my intuition is right. And sometimes I want my intuition to be right because if all technology does is confirm what I'm doing, then it's either the wrong fucking technology or I'm not using it the right way because it should be telling me something new. But yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan of technology to a certain point, but only to the point where um, I could then go out and make my coaching better, my athletes better, my clients better, or, or anything along those lines. But you can measure anything these days. The trick is knowing what to do with it. And that I think we're still on the, the early side of that part. Got anything? No. I'm still <laughs> processing. Chris, you're long-winded like us, so I'm processing a lot. That's the first time I've heard that. Um, well, where, uh, I, I got a question. Where does, um, you know, I mean, obviously I'm pretty f um, familiar with the TRX, but where do you guys work in, like, uh, you know, actually weights? I mean, uh, I know you guys, when I did a little ancillary checking out, you guys have gyms now. I mean, are they all kind of TRX strap-based? Are you guys kind of hybriding them with, you know, basic barbells? Because, I mean, if, uh, if all you're doing is basic body weight movements, I mean, the only way you can necessarily continue to drive intensity is with volume and, you know, or yeah, or speed. But, uh, you know, in terms of, um, you know, linear progression in terms of like uh, basic weights and whatnot, uh, you know, I mean, if you guys are doing, you know, uh, pretty extensive trunk work balance and trying to T 
teach people how to move. I mean, one of the best ways to drive adaptation is to challenge posture and position using external resistance of barbells. And, you know, if you talk about swing kettlebells, pulling that. So have you guys got to the point now with, um, you know, where people are really hybriding these programs and kind of like, you know, using your technology and saying, hey, you know what, here's what we're doing in the TRX, but this is how we run and use it with, uh, you know, kind of like a basic barbell type of approach? Yeah, short, short answer is yeah. And it's been... Um uh, I'm, I'm surprised they've actually kept me around the company as long as they have, because it, at the end of the day, the, the, when you run a business, you got to sell stuff and, you know, the, the straps are the, the bread and butter of it. But, but from the day I walked in, uh, I told them, Hey, look, at the end of the day, I like picking up heavy shit and putting it down or doing shit fast. Or, uh, and, and so my role has always been almost the anti-salesman of the company is, is coming and say, okay, what does this thing do best? We know it's not going to solve everything for you. Uh, we did not. We did. We did not end up in you know just about all the you know pro sports training rooms by walking in and saying, "Hey, now that you got the straps, you can get rid of all your racks." Uh, we walked in and said, "Hey, what are you doing for some type of mobility stretching stuff? What are you doing for core? What are you doing for unilateral stuff?" Oh, we're doing this. Hey, try this. Does it make sense? Yes, cool. Um, but yeah, it's uh, uh, from a commercial side of it. I think there's something to be said for having a TRX studio that's. 80% strap based because these days on the fitness side of the house, uh, it's, it's not like it was when I was growing up where you belong to one gym or you had something in your, uh, in your garage. Now you're going from soul cycle to yoga, to orange theory, to, uh, CrossFit to any one of these things. So from kind of the millennial standpoint, that's the business model of it. Uh, and it's a unique environment. So yeah, but, uh, when we talk about getting onto the, uh, performance side of it, you know, college, high school, pro, military it is a component that you know we talk about it we don't use these terms but it's you know it's a potentiator or it's almost a force multiplier i want your shoulder to be feeling good before you're starting to put a lot of weight over your head how can i make sure that shoulder feeling good i can either unload you and get you into different ranges of motion and then start to load you up in there uh we've got great third-party validation as soon as i put my hands or your feet in there yeah we get good core good torso strength in there but um for, uh, unfortunately, for a lot of the young athletes and young uh, service people, uh, body weight for the first two or three weeks is is going to get them where they want to go. But yeah, lower body, you're going to have to find some way to axial load it um, uh, and just, just hitting those other things. So yes, definitely. But that that's kind of where it comes back to your primal movements, our foundational movements of uh, I need to I just know that I just need to know that you can move like this, and then it doesn't matter what I put in your hand. I feel, you know, we, we probably are diverged a little bit there because at, when we talk about working with athletes, high school or collegiate, right? It's, uh, our philosophy is we're not, we may not have time to wait for everything to line up. You know what I mean? So we found that we take into consideration not just range of motion and movement standards of like, let's say a fucking powerlifting meet. Like you got a guy who's going to squat, a uh, young kid who maybe doesn't have have a lot of this time under the barbell to coordinate and build tension, right? But there's a range of motion he can or they or she can operate in. Well, let's fucking work in there. And like, it doesn't have to be there today, but it'll eventually be there, right? And uh, you know, and I know you're not fucking, or maybe you are fucking talking rules. Like that's the law of TRX. We need to be able to organize before we go and then we go, right? But, um, you know, just for some of our listeners who hear some of our, what we talk about frequently is, Sometimes we don't have time. We just got to go. And you know what you're going to do is you got to triage and you only work it within the, the range of motion or load or frequency, amplitude, whatever you want to say, uh, 
that that athlete can exhibit control. Yeah, you know I, mean, I mean, we we ran into this when we went to go teach seminars. We came in and, um, you know, just starting to work with people and just getting them to do a basic barbell back squat and then watching them and being like, you know, all of a sudden uh, as they go to squat near parallel, they round their upper back, they dump their knee, they start doing all this jiggy shit to try to get this artificial range of motion of like you have to squat below parallel so your butt touches a Dynamax ball. And I remember the first time I saw it, I was like, hey, here's the deal. I would much rather have you squat well to as far as deep as you can uh, and and do it uh, well because I realize over time you will develop the strength, the musculature, the coordination, the stability, the strength to squat deeper. Mm-hmm. I don't need you to squat as deep as you can today, but I need six months from now because I'm going to train you. And I remember when I came in with that narrative, I just want you to do it as well as you can, as deep as you can today, and then we're just going to continue to work this thing. Yeah, and, and I remember uh, the CrossFit people like kind of you know freaked out a little bit, and I'm like, why would you want? I mean. Like, that doesn't make any sense to me. I mean, we're looking at training these people for a lifetime. I mean, I hope that uh, I'm working with you not today, but six months, a year, five, ten years from now. And all of a sudden, when I run back into you years later, all of a sudden it looks perfect because you worked and you were basically replicating good movement, maybe not as deep as we wanted. But I'd rather, you know, cheat the depth a little bit to get great movement and then realize, like, this isn't the depth I want, but we're here today. Tomorrow's going to get better. And I um, I just remember coming in and, and it was a extremely eye-opening for me to see people lifting weights poorly because for me I always looked at lifting weights as um, you know I mean if I'm a, if I'm about perfection of movement uh, you know and I'm basically putting myself under stress which is driving adaptation faster if I'm replicating something bad and I'm putting weights on it and I'm stressing myself and I'm forcing internist intermuscular coordination rate firing you know uh, rate coding and motor unit recruitment and all these factors if I'm doing it at a heavy weight I'm driving that adaptation faster and I'm necessarily replicating it worse and it's going to negatively affect me when I need it most and, um, 100%. you know, and so, uh, like that was a huge eye opener for me and actually made me go back and completely really got the foundation for power athlete based off of what people were doing and what their present methodology. Cause you, I mean, you put it best, uh, as a professional football player, I lived in a bubble and it was this, I thought all my, I thought everybody in the world was a professional a football player. I thought all my friends were, I thought everybody played. I mean, I thought everybody drove a nice car. Like you just don't live outside your bubble. And, uh, I remember when I got outside the bubble and I started working out I mean, going and working with, uh, the cross community i was like holy shit normies we call ourselves normies John. It, it just it, yeah, and, and like these guys are like <laughs> you, you and your fucking ivory tower but it it was uh it, it was it was excellent for me and it was also um what i was amazed at how much information that i took for granted that i thought that people knew like the biggest one was um you know i, I trained with this old man george zangus in his garage uh, who was a u.s powerlifting coach invented the super soups and wraps for marathon nutrition and he used to always talk about i want you to move the barbell as fast as you can and it was this idea of compensatory acceleration. He talked about his good friend George Hat- or um, uh, Doctor Fr- uh, Fred or uh, Doctor Squad Fred Hatfield, and talked about compensatory acceleration. And he told me he's like, if you can move the bar as fast as you can, if you can squat five hundred and you move one thirty five, like uh, every time, max acceleration. And so I always literally moved the bar as fast as I could at all times. And when I went into the gym, I just remember telling people, I'm like, man, uh, which was the line that old man Zenga said, "You lift weights like old people have sex, slow and careful." And I remember watching everybody like stop at the bottom and he would like, you know, and you watch people squat, everybody stops at the bottom and tries to find their position and stand up. And he yelled at you, he's like, why the fuck would you stop at the bottom? It's your closest to death with heavy weight. <laughs> and so he used to make all these statements and I just, you know, 14 years old from it, and I trained with him until I, I, you know, went to college four years. So there was just kind of ingrained in me. And then when I went out, I was like, 
you guys never knew George Zangus, did you? You never trained in Zangus's garage. Like a lot of the shit that I saw, I just couldn't fucking fathom of like, what are you guys working for? Like, what's the goal here? Because if it's about maximal strength, maximal performance, maximal, uh, you know, power, velocity, all these things, you guys aren't fucking doing anything that replicates anything that I'm looking for. And uh, that narrative, I mean, is, is really what, you know, started Power Athlete and got us rolling in this direction. And the thing which is, uh, is pretty amazing too, and um, which seemed intuitive to me, but seems to be not as intuitive is that uh, everybody just throws everybody into one program. You know, hey, like, you know, every, you know, everybody does one program. And I remember, uh, you know, there was a program we did when I was pretty young. And I remember asking George one time, like, how come we don't do that stuff anymore? He's like, well, you're not a beginner anymore. He's like, beginners do beginner programs, intermediate. And he's like, you have to work the right program at the right time. And, uh, you know, those pieces were important. So I, I sometimes think for, um, you know, so, and, and I do, I, I, I know TRX, but I don't know TRX. I'm sure there's uh, many, many levels, and I'm, uh, you yeah, know, we're, we're uh, like, oh uh, yeah, the things you, the hard shit. That well, we I mean, can't do very well. They were in every NFL locker room, and and we used to use them. I mean, one of my favorite ones for it was uh, getting in a plank position, putting my feet in the straps, yeah. and then being able to do like side to side, like kind of rotation, and trying to do some of like the trunk stuff because I liked it for the hip flexors. I also liked it for uh, um, being able to elevate for like the you know hamstring curls and different stuff. So I thought it was good for uh, just like accessory things. I just always thought that like, there has to be something more advanced. And I remember asking him, like, um, I, I think I w- was asking one of our trainers, I'm like, what if I wore a weighted vest? What about if I did this? And I kind of started going in and he was like, I don't think they do that stuff. I'm like, they fucking have to. There has to be a way to overload this thing. It just can't be more volume. There has to be more uh, advanced movements. There has to be like a training protocol. They must have some sequencing of movements or some programming piece. And I remember my our uh, trainer, I think it was Chris Peduzzi, if you know Chris from the Eagles. Peduzzi just kind of shrugged his shoulder. and goes, I don't fucking know, dude. And I was like, <laughs> okay. So like I, I was the worst because I asked questions. And he'd be like, shut the fuck up, dude. I don't know this shit. So... No, it's uh, to, to everything you just said. Yeah, hundred percent on point. Here's here's what when you said, "Hey, are there rules?" What we find is the 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 best people that use the straps are people that come in and don't try to learn TRX. You know, just like don't go in and try and learn CrossFit. Don't tr- try and go in and learn kettlebell. To an ex- certain to a certain extent, don't try and go in and learn Olympic lifting unless you can do it as a sport. Come to TRX with what you're already doing well. Hey, your yoga instructor, how does this enhance your practice? You're an Olympic lifter, how does this enhance your practice? <clears throat> hey, you want to know some different things you can do on the straps? Happy to show you, but at some point, it turns into you know a circus trick, which sometimes isn't a bad thing for variation. But yeah, you, do you put a do you put a weight vest on? Yeah, can you can you hold a, a kettlebell in one hand while you're doing a uh, a single arm row on the other side? Yeah, the um, uh, our approach is like anything else. Let's, let's sequence it out in a way that, that makes sense. So, you know, one of the things we talk about now, we kind of built out these foundational movements and I try not to make it about the straps. If the straps just happen to be a nice environment. So we now have something we call our programming lenses. And, uh, and I used, and I used to be a bigger asshole than I am now, which is hard to believe. And I used to say, Hey, you know what the fitness industry is behind, but it's really not that the fitness industry is behind. It's just, we don't do a good job of teaching people. So this whole concept of, I'm assuming the same reason you guys do primal movements is why we did foundational movements. If I got 10 pieces of equipment here and I can come up with 10 exercises on each one of those, there's a hundred exercises. Fuck. Last thing I want to do is coach a hundred exercises. And the last thing my athlete wants to do is learn a hundred exercises. Now all I got to do is teach you 
15 or 20 coaching cues that goes across the board. So from a programming perspective, we're trying to do the same thing. So we came up with what we call our six programming lenses, exercise selection, exercise sequence, tempo, plane of motion, work to rest ratio, and volume load. Now, could we go way wider than that? Yeah, but if I got 20 minutes to put together a workout or I want to evaluate a workout, how do we take these big concepts and narrow them down? Uh, and, and I know you said I'm long-winded. I'm going to go here for another 30 seconds. We just take simple concepts that we pull from science, uh, you know, peripheral heart action, which all of a sudden everybody's talking about again. It's from the 1930s. Upper body, lower body. Uh, we know that it's great not just for a little bit of local recovery, but now we also know that it's great for when people talk about cardio training. Don't get me started on cardio training. Cardio training in terms of Condo. you know, shunt, shunt the blood from the upper body to the lower body. Now we're talking about uh, baroreceptor sensitivity. So now I'm now taking my old guys and keeping them safe from getting a heart attack. I'm taking my young guys. We also know it has a lot to do with uh, autonomic regulation. If I do peripheral heart action, I can actually help reset back into a parasympathetic mode if I do it the right way. No one fucking wants to hear that shit. Upper body, lower body, do it this way. Hey, superset, which we used to call Well, but uh, yeah, I mean, uh, we, we always knew that a program that preferenced upper body and lower body in the same day, like, uh, hey, I'm going to train a push and a pull, right? So if I'm going to squat, I'm going to do this. Like we always did like in you guys, the original, you know, cross a football template. What did I talk about? We train a full body every day because there was never an opportunity for me to go in and be like, hey, coach, like, ah, you know, I train legs today. I'm not going to be able to run and play football. What about? But we also found that when we mixed, uh, you know, multi-jointed compound movements, upper body, we drove adaptation faster. Like uh, when we first started, it was like, hey, I'm going to do a squat and a press. I'm going to do a, you know, this. And we kind of, you know, bench and a pull and uh, the, you know, the, the sequencing and we would train three days a week. And it wasn't until we got more advanced that we started kind of breaking things up into more speci uh, more specifics, but it just, um, yeah, I mean, you're talking about, uh, you know, Charles Atlas and all those original muscle. I mean, those dudes always train their body as a full deal. There was never this idea of, uh, you know, I'm going to train a body part, you know, today I'm training biceps, you know, it just no, never no, kind of worked that. Yeah. That's real. I just did that last Friday. I just came in. Well, we do that because we have fun because we always want to blast arms because Friday, Friday is International Arm Day, just like Monday's International Chess Day. I uh, forgot that whole accessory thing. Hey, if we, you know, I'll be the first one to say TRX is a great accessory piece. Uh, mm -hmm. The guys that have come back from deployment saying, hey, this is all I really had and it helped me maintain. I'm like, great, but they were also picking up heavy shit and moving it around for the rest of their oh, job. But. I've, uh, I've gotten pictures for years from dudes with the, like the most Spartan fucking setups in the middle of some desert with like, you know, weights they made out of cinder blocks and, and cement. And there would invariably always be like, a set of TRX straps yeah, there's no, there's no or like gymnastics rings or, or like some other fucking bastardized version. I mean, you guys have gotten super jiggy with it, but like some like fucking nylon strap with a carabiner and some like weird handle, you know? So, I mean, it, it, it does make sense. I mean, for the, uh, I mean, I like, and then you also think about like, uh, being able to do like multiplane movements, like, uh, you know, sure. if you're doing like yeah. an elevated Bulgarian split squat and then being able to rotate and be able to do some rotational type stuff with that foot off. So, I mean, and it's know. cool to hear, you know, just, uh, that, that you're using the core 
the, the core training, if you were a TRX kind of, you know, that was your silo as also assessment tools, right? And that's yep. what, what people all, because we're, we're barbell, we have a barbell focus, right? But even that's part of the assessment, right? We're, and that's where coaches sometimes get fucked off is, oh, no, this is the testing point. Well, testing assessment, it, it never stops, right? It never stops. So Test and retest. So just even, you know, the that inability in, in a suspended state on a plank, right? Okay, so what is, okay, there's something broken in the chain. Now you have this this diagnostic tool as well, right? So it's pretty cool setup. Uh, I want to get into the assumptions. So um, you spend a lot of time traveling and teaching and sharing TRX's knowledge experience, and especially your knowledge and experience. So what are the biggest assumptions that you've seen or the most common assumptions that you've seen and kind of prepared a battle to kind of put these places, uh, put these coaches in that oh fuck mindset? On the straps or in general? Or in both? both. Yeah, let's both. The assumptions are that everything we've been taught is right. And whatever school you went to, and when I say school, I don't necessarily mean university. I mean, hey, I'm a Moffitt guy. Hey, I'm a, you know, pick, pick, pick whatever guru you want to do, go through. Uh, you know, I'm not going to lie. CrossFit and TRX and Orange Theory, they have this cultish approach to it that Everybody kind of reads, reads things to confirm what they have instead of reading things they disagree with so they can try to work their head around it. So the biggest assumption I walk in that people think that strength is something, cardio is something, work capacity is something, flexibility is something, and mobility is something. And uh, the reality is, yeah, it's something. It's called the human body, and they all work together in this kind of dynamic system. Um, the fact that you can now take, there's a group, I'll get geeky for a second. There's a group out of Spain that's been looking at lactate threshold, uh, training at the lactate threshold intensity using weights. So 30% of your one RM doing high volume on there. So now imagine you got a football player who weighs 300 pounds and I don't want to run him, but he's coming back from either being unfit or being injured. Now we can kind of put them in an environment they're used to and train their, uh, fuck, I hate this term too, energy systems to do better if you uh if you set them under with some occlusion and then you start oh. occluding muscles and uh i mean i, I got my I, b strong i got my b strong i, I got my b strong too and we got our uh, uh katsu bands i mean we got it all but um no i mean like uh i, I know the research you're talking about the idea of lactic acid threshold and the idea and that growth hormone is re released in response to lactic acid threshold which uh it's funny, at a uh, majority of our deals, people always ask me about uh, CrossFitters and steroids, and I'm like, uh, I played in the NFL, dude, where like there were dudes that were 3% body fat, so seeing like these CrossFit dudes really all that impressive to me, but the female CrossFit athlete, I've never seen anything like on this planet, and the only thing I can think of is uh, the idea of like lactic acid, lactic acid threshold training, big growth hormone response, uh, testosterone stimulated in the high protein. Um, um, yeah, in the uh, in the adrenals by continually fucking frying their adrenals, high protein diet, and like, and then now the idea that uh you know inefficient, and when I say inefficient, I mean in a good way, but like um, you know testosterone being a major key factor for central nervous system efficiency, which I got from Louis Simmons, who told me that the uh, the more tests that the guys took, the more efficient their nervous systems were. So when I asked him about Prilipin's table, you know the four to ten. You know the mm -hmm. idea, and he's like, "Well, the more gear you're on, you can get four. For the natural guys, you got to get ten. And then he explained it to me. He's like, "And Louis is like the master of just fucking observational science, right? He's like, "I just know the more test guy, the less reps he needs, so that means that's more efficient his nervous system." So when I looked at the girls, and I'm like, "Well, if uh, you know, ninety percent of the testosterone's form in the testes, and only ten percent comes in the adrenals, girls naturally don't have natural testosterone the way we do. That would mean that they're, uh, you know." 
uh, central nervous system isn't efficient. And then we did a whole bunch of muscle fiber testing back in the day. We had a girl who was a competitive um, tower, tower racer. racer, and she was also rollerbladed across America and held the world record for rollerblading across America. She was a collegiate track, uh, like triple jumper and a, and a hurdler. She um, squatted, I think, about a bike 135, 137 kilos for a single. We stripped her back to 80 to do the uh, half-field muscle fiber test, and she busted out like 28 reps. And then she rested three minutes and got like 32 reps. And my whole thing is that women can just handle a higher percentage of their 1RM for more reps. So now these girls are handing a higher percentage more 1RM for reps. They're driving adaptation. They're constantly dosing themselves with this lactic acid threshold training. Their training volume is four and five workouts, like high protein. I mean, you kind of go back into these things and they're creating this like this uh, extremely potent pool to develop muscle, you know, muscle and size and strength that we just have never really seen because we've never really had a sport that was predicated on, uh, you know, I mean, if you think about it, CrossFit's a fucking sport. High intensity, of like, high intensity, high, high intensity. Yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah, big volume, high intensity, and the amount of training that they're doing in preparation we've never seen. Because, I mean, think about it. even like the, the highest volume athlete, like think about like a decathlete or pentathlete or something for some of the girls. Um, they don't, they don't do that fucking volume. It's not like they do their, the entire thing every single day. Like, whereas the CrossFit people are like, I, I might get 10 workouts. I should do 12 in a single day. So, I mean, we've just never seen anything like it. And so my comment when people ask me is I'm like, I don't know about the dudes, but like to me, Rich Froning at 175 pounds at 5'10", I'm like, dude, I played with guys that were like 6'4", 270 that were way more jacked than that that never touched a weight. But I've never in my life seen girls more physically impressive than what I've seen with the CrossFit girls. Um, but then, the, then we, we always you know, the the um, the average American, if not the average person, just doesn't understand this whole idea of statistical thinking. That hey, when you see the rich fronings and you see all these top level people, they're the top level people. Yeah. This is the you know point one percent. Not everybody's like that. Just like you know you you, you get worried when you get on a plane because the only time uh, you hear about plane crashes is when they crash. So it makes news. You don't fucking hear on the news, hey, today there were 475 car crashes. So it's, you know, it's, it's trying to get everybody's, everybody's head wrapped around it the, the right way to, to know what the norm is, normies. I'm going to start using that. Well, but uh, I mean, people fail at the margins of their experience, right? So like I go to a CrossFit gym and they figure like, these guys are just training across the gym. I'm like, come on. But that like, goes to what Chris was saying. Everything you taught, you assume is right. Yeah, that's true. Here's what, here's what I do, and this is this is one thing I can give you some sage advice from a guy who's probably old enough to be everyone's dad. There, literally every year, on uh, beginning of February, I literally assume that everything I've learned up to this point, I'm fucking wrong about, and so now I have to go back and revalidate everything I do in terms of a particular side of training, like the whole um, central governor theory. This is kind of a geeky thing that uh, Noakes used to say that hey. The reason I can't, and, and it comes back, it made me, it, you sparked me when you said, hey, she did uh, X number of reps, and then five minutes later did another 32 reps. You know, we, we think we're slowing down because of physiology, or some people say it's psychology, or is this other third thing in there? We're, you know, the program I went through said, hey, this whole central governor theory, theory doesn't make any sense. And now we're coming back to realize, oh, it does make sense. We're just explaining it different ways. But, but uh, challenging you challenging myself and challenging other coaches because you were asking about assumptions. The, the assumption I go in there with is that nobody wants to be wrong. And as a good scientist, your goal is to be wrong. Don't tell me where I'm right. Tell me where I'm wrong. And then that'll make me, and this is a martial artist approach as well. I'm not, the only, the only experience I have with martial arts is I used to get my ass kicked a lot. And I, when I lived in Albuquerque, I was near Greg Jackson's gym. So I know those guys, but 
the assumption is that everybody is going in there to prove themselves right. And nobody wants to be a little bit more open-minded to find out, oh shit, I'm wrong. And if I'm wrong by 5% or if I'm wrong by 95%, point that shit out to me because that's going to make me a better coach, a better teacher. And more importantly, that turns me into a better force multiplier because then I can affect the people around me uh, even more. But when we, when you are living in that, you know, when you're living in the bubble, it's, it's hard, it's hard to break out of it. I mean, that's why we got politics the way we do today. It, you should be embracing people that think differently than you do and figuring out where you guys have shit in common and then where you might be able to learn from each other. I don't know. I mean, I think the farther we go in this deal, the more I realize that the basics I learned many years ago are by far more accurate than what I'm learning today. It almost seems like, uh, and I can't remember who told me, but um, if they, they said, uh, if lightweights got us stronger, why wouldn't we just lift lightweights? And I remember that was uh, old man Zangus because uh, when you came in and you squatted badly and it looked like shit, he'd be like, hey, why don't you take a form day? Just lighten it up and work on your form. I'd be like, but my form's really good when it's light. And he's like, yeah, I know. <laughs> he's like, you really, he's like, you're not good at lifting heavy weights. I'm like, well, then why would I take weight off and just work on my form? And he would just like take a sup, like big drink of coffee and not say anything. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, oh, fuck. Okay, I get it now. Well, which is basically like everybody's good at lifting fucking lightweights, but nobody remembers the people that lift the lightweights. And if there was about, you know, and it's like if, if lightweights got us strong, because I'd like, you know, you hear about lightning method and this, and you go through this whole fucking thing, and you're like, um, at the end of the day, like if you want to run fast, you got to run fast. The fastest dudes in the world run the fastest in training. The strongest dudes in the world lift the heaviest weights in training. Like, and it comes down to the idea of like, um, you know, and the way you're able to do it is by being efficient in your movement. If you watch all the guys, you know, from Ed Cohen and some of the strongest dudes in the world, you can see the efficiency in their movement, how they're doing it. Uh, other than that Optimus Prime, that big black dude, uh, Ray Williams, who's like 450, who squats 1,100 pounds like it's a fucking flyweight. He rounds his back in the bottom, but the dude is so strong that yeah. like people. People are like, yeah, they're, they're like, he kind of rounds his back a little bit. I'm like, uh, yeah, he's 450 pounds. Do you realize he has to round his back to get into fucking position? And then some dude will be like, he did, he didn't squat as deep as I thought he should. Yeah. I'm like, and, 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 and the guy will comment on there, like on Instagram, he'll be like, yeah, no, I, I don't really squat below parallel. And then it's in a contest. Like I don't need to like prove to myself in training that I need to squat as deep as you need me to. I can rip your arms oh, uh, from dude, the sockets. Uh, Why do I need to squat? 100%, below right? But, but, but like, that's the thing. Like, and, and then people forget, though, like, this is the weird part. People think like, oh, that dude, like, uh, you know, like, he's so strong on this. They put the deal. And I'm like, um, if you guys came to, an, and, and you, you brought it up talking about, like, the look like Tarzan play like Jane, and you got guys that, you know, aren't fucking weight room warriors that kill people. If you guys went to an NFL locker room or in a weight room, and you guys saw guys train, people a lot of people would be thoroughly underwhelmed and think to himself these guys aren't that strong and so for me I was always a weight room dude but I always had I, I always was focused on the ability of like how do I translate what I do in the weight room out onto the field and the re and how I was able to do it was the idea of like perfection of movement. I'm not using the weight room as a way just to get strong. I want to try to challenge what I know in terms of posture position through full range of motion movement. So I'm going to use external resistance. And like that idea of like, I'm going to be, uh, you know, my ability to handle these weights and how I do them translates more than the weight itself. And, you know, nobody ever asked me what I bench or squatted on the field. They just knew I was able to fucking hit them harder than they hit me. And um, But we still see people judging like demarcus wears power cleans that's definitely a freaking assumption that oh. you're better 
Olympic lifter than a freaking well all pro defensive end. Yeah, but I uh, yeah they they looked awful. But um, uh, like here's the deal, I man. I thought they were fine. Yeah, they were. He was fucking. He, he pulled a big weight, mm-hmm. and they were like, oh, they like they were killing him. I'm like, he's not an Olympic weightlifter. <laughs> all he did is that motherfucker went and grabbed the bar and yanked that shit off the ground and yep. stood up with Caught it. A frame. Yeah, and and you know what? And then people were like, oh, this, and I'm like, dude. It was like 375. Yeah, it was. It was. It 15. was for reps. Yeah. yeah, and and I think he had straps on too. And people were like, "Oh, he's got straps." I'm like, "Yeah, <laughs> like, like the." <laughs> he does, doesn't he? Yeah, uh, like yeah, it, it looks great How about to me. That? Yeah, I'm like, wow. I mean, but uh, like, it's it goes back to like I think people 142 kilograms. Hang clean for reps. Okay, so he did. You know, what's that? Uh, one uh, three fifteen or yeah, no? Yeah, you know, like one forty is what? Three three oh eight. Yeah, so three three twelve. So, oh yeah, and then people are like freaking out. Look at him; he's literally like we're we're over here watching. You can't see it, but like he looks like I'll he's, send you the link. Chris. He looks like he's doing uh, aerobics. Yes. with three fifteen, <laughs> it look it like like he's doing in out in out. It's it's like no, he's doing plyometrics with heavy weights in his hand. And uh, um, like people ask me about like what's your philosophy on, on Olympic weightlifting? I'm like it looks like vertical jumping with weight in my hand. Yeah. And they were like, uh, really? I'm like, yeah, just vertical jump as high as you can with weight in your hand. And that's I, how it should be taught. Yeah. This bullshit, this bullshit of people slamming their feet into the ground before their hips or their knees go into extension and think they're doing Olympic lifting. Like, fuck, just get it a looks, fucking med ball and throw it over your head. Then it let, looks cool, though. Uh, dude, like, you got to remember, man, like, I mean, I was a big Charlie Francis guy, or I still am. I mean, he's since passed away. But uh, a lot of his GPP med ball, a lot of the dynamic, all the med ball stuff I stole from him. Yeah. Um, to me, I mean, that was by far uh, some of the, the best work for me in terms of, like, being able to, like, move a lightweight as fast as I can, move a heavyweight, and just, like, the, you know, the... Um, the ability to get in like different planes of motion because you think about in Olympic weightlifting, you're always in a bilateral hip hinge. It's always in that X axis. You're always pulling like within a doorway. And for me, sport and football was never played within that. So being able to take uh, heavy med balls and light med balls and be able to do you know multi plane lunge, step, squat, throw, you know extension, reverse, all, all these things were as beneficial to anything as I ever did in the weight room. But I I also see the the, the problem med is ball. it's it's not fucking sexy. Oh no, it's not sexy. But applying the med ball stuff like uh, like we talked about to high schoolers, it's just another coachable opportunity to practice the coordinative abilities to make them better sprinters or baseball players. And I can definitely see if we had access to a TRX. I could do the same thing. It's just mm-hmm. yep. making that mind muscle connection well, for them another you, tool. You made a great point. Um, I'm we a power athlete are focused on making better athletes and the training is the byproduct. Like we're training, we're lifting weights, we're doing all these things so that it translates to athleticism, making you a better athlete. I'm not trying to make you better at lifting weights. Yeah, it's just the vessel, baby. Yeah, I mean, you get better as a byproduct of this shit, but I think Jump like, on my starship of training, as Rudy Reyes would say. <laughs> man, at the our cosmic, sim- cosmic at, journey. At our symposium, uh, Rudy got up and spoke. Uh, I mean, he had a great, I don't even know what the fuck it was about. But uh, <laughs> it was he, the cosmic river. Uh, was the he cosmic got to river. the very end that he plays Dave and like David Bowie goes on and like he's t- you know it's basically spiders from Mars deal and and I remember uh, Derek Woodsky leans over and he goes um if uh, Rudy told everybody that he had his spaceship outside how many people you think would follow him out and get on the spaceship and I was like every fucking one he's like he's like me too I'd be sitting next to him with with buckled up wondering Rudy what time does the spaceship take off that motherfucker so let's a quick quick side story on Rudy so the yes. first time I met Rudy, uh, one of the guys at TRX was driving. We were driving down to um, someplace in North Carolina near Camp Lejeune, and I was going to do a 
just a session, some TRX, some other stuff with a really small group of, uh, of veterans doing transition stuff. He goes, oh, we're driving down and oh, and I didn't tell you we're staying in this guy's house. And I fuck, dude, I'm not a people person to be at, at the end of the day. I'm like, dude, I, I don't fucking stay in people's houses. I need to find a hotel. He goes, no, it's in the middle of fucking nowhere. Fucking great. He goes, oh, and you're going to meet this guy, Rudy. And you're not going to like him right away because he's like over the top and he's kind of like not, not your cup of tea kind of guy, but he, he's really authentic. So now I'm like, oh, this is going <laughs> to fucking suck. So we get there. Uh, I meet Rudy. And at first I was like, oh, dude, this is like a fucking Jack Richard, Richard Simmons. I'm not going to have a good I'm not going to have a good weekend here. Five minutes later, we're, we're having great conversations. Uh, I told him at one point, because he was wearing Beyond, the, the Beyond clothing pants. I was like, oh, man, I've been, I've been seeing that stuff. I, I need to get a pair. He goes, oh, shit, I'll be right back. Goes, comes back. Motherfucker hands me his pants. I have his pants <laughs> to this day. I'm like, dude, I can't take your pants. No, here's the deal. Oh, no. He gave you the pants just so he could fucking hang out in his underwear. <laughs> yeah, he is allergic to dude, clothes. Dude. No, like that's the thing. Like Rudy will give you the shirt off his back because he doesn't want to wear a shirt and yeah. any opportunity has to just like like so we're at the symposium. He got his shirt and he's like, Luke, um, do you have any women's sizes? Cause uh I'm I feel terrible to cut this shirt up. Luke's like cool. So he gives him a woman's tank. Luke, Rudy goes in there with scissors and basically Michelangelo's this thing like he's fucking like Calvin, he, like he literally cut the thing up. He had like ribs. I mean, and, but and then, it looked great on him. Yeah, I he, looked, say. he looked like he got up there and I was like, he looks good. And, and you know what? You really can't get mad at him because, you know, like he's probably a guy who like, you know, probably shouldn't be wearing pants or a shirt. Ever, and I'm totally fine with yeah, it. Yeah, he's earned his right to have clothing optional. Everywhere, no right? I remember when he, he came and visited uh, my fucking salty old neighbor. I, I was like, Rudy, like, comes out in a pair of Capri, Jean Capri pants that he obviously stole from a woman because they don't sell those at men's stores. No shoes and no shirt, and he gets in the car. We come to do the podcast, and then after, I was like, I got to swing him by my old salty fucking dickhead na- neighbor. So we stop in, and my neighbor's like this six-year-old, old Texan, bitter at life dude, and uh, rolls in, and he's like, you can see, like, both of their eyes kind of squint, and then he, like, sits down and starts talking, and then I, like, go drop Rudy off. I come back. And I was like, so what do you think of that dude? And they were like, he looks good. They they were like, I gotta say, if I look like that, I probably wouldn't wear pants or a shirt. You know, I'd, I'd be okay. Like, like they were totally okay with it. They're like, he's in great shape. Like he's wearing women's capri pants. But you know what? Sadly enough, he looked pretty good. And then that and was it. And I was like, oh, okay. shit to him either. So it's all right. <laughs> yeah. And, and like, and even if you did, Rudy would disarm you with uh with like hugs and kindness to where mm-hmm. you just feel like a dick. Hugs kind of kindness and kung fu yeah right yeah it's it's yeah it's like uh even if you made fun of him i think i would just feel bad i'd be like yeah i kind of made fun of rudy i feel bad about myself so chris we're talking about our our end of the year symposium man but we were weeks out from a summit out here in austin texas right yeah yeah we're like shit eight days out oh no pressure um you know at being on your end of events like this you're like fuck eight fucking days days. fuck uh so a hopefully everything's on point but i I fully intend on going i appreciate you extending uh the invitation what are we getting ourselves into man you are getting yourself into this uh this community that was built around straps initially uh, but my wife, uh, my wife, Georgia, who is actually um, uh, Randy Hetrick, our CEO, she is, she is his EA, and she's kind of always been my, um, the thing that grounds me. She, she made a point about five years ago that, you know, it's not about Randy being a, a Navy SEAL. It's not about, uh, Frankel, what you do. You know, it, the brand is all about the people that have decided to, you know, 
take it in and, and use it. Because what what TRX, I mean, we don't we don't have sponsored gyms. We don't do franchising. Or who knows where they're going to be in the future? We did a set of straps. We got some geeky old uh, crotchety exercise science and uh, coach guy to go out and do some education, and people fell in love with it. And and our goal always at TRX has been, hey, we're, we've we've done some hard work for you, but it's all about how you take it. And you you make it your own. If we're, if we become three percent of your training, we become ninety seven percent of your training. But man, you may you may roll in when we do this when we did this in Europe two years ago. I think there are about three or four people in there that actually had TRX tattoos on them, one on their leg, one on nice. their forearm. Uh, it's a it's a broad range of folks. It is um, it's some hardcore S and C. It's some hardcore military. It is people who literally teach TRX and teach Zumba. And are badass at it. Um, it's 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 a trip. It's it, if we if we sold Terex toilet paper, we'd sell it out when we when we got there. So it's uh, I'm psyched that I'm psyched that you guys are going to come. I'm psyched that Rudy's going to be there. I don't know if you guys know Jeff Dillman, who's now his training conditioning coach down at University of South Carolina. He's doing the keynote speech. So we're we're trying to bring some we're trying to bring some different worlds together. Uh, and and whether you're working you know with military pro athletes, moms, people coming back losing limbs. Uh, people that just want to get in better shape. Uh, it's a chance for everybody to come together and do that. You're going to, you know, I'm, I'm kind of the, uh, the geeky science guy, but we're going to have some um, uh, sessions on ATRX a approach to doing things. We never say there's a right way, but the good thing about where we are now is we can say, hey, this works for us. And you know what? We've educated about 250,000 people around the country. I mean, around the world. Uh, and this works for us. So Motherfucker, don't tell me it doesn't work. You can right. say it might not work for you, but it's, it, it's okay right. for us. But we're and we're always and we're always trying to get better. So so having you guys come is really going to be a uh, it's going to be a shot in our arm. And and you guys uh, you guys might and Rudy's going to be there. So shit, yeah. Rudy's kicking off the day. Hey, if you're going to come, you got to be there at like seven fifteen Saturday morning because Rudy goes on seven thirty. So easy. First off, easy. Second off, what percent is practical versus like lecture? You're trying to do eighty percent practical so here's my prediction chris based off of nothing i've never done any sort of suspension training i'm going to come in there and absolutely smash it i will be the demo boy is my prediction however it is also my obligation to be prepared to be wrong (laughs) (laughs) you know luke doesn't lack confidence but surprisingly uh you know like uh, luke is a uh, master of um useless sports like Beer league softball, Bring fucking it. flag football. I'm the uh, apex of athleticism. Oh, dude! Like, like for guy. for any like old guy like beer league thing, Luke is like that. Like it's a Super Bowl. He goes out there and he's like, you know, a fucking beer league MVP for softball Pull, or pulls fucking. his groin, rounding second, <laughs> stand yeah. up triple. Hang on, first off, text. Let's we don't have to go into the details of that, other than. Uh, Mr. Fucking Single over here. Can yeah, barely, consistency. I'm can Jose Altuve of our softball league. In a men's league, arc, arc pitch softball league can barely putt a softball out of the fucking infield. Okay, right? but, but I'm batting 800. When you're a powerhouse <laughs> ripping fucking softballs on a rope to the fence. Does it have a fence? <laughs> yeah, you fit. On base percentage, dude. Bro. Just look at the on base percentage. Come on. My, MVP. Uh, listen, I don't know about you guys. So, uh, hey, I, I was going to ask. Uh, do you, you know, um, there's probably a 
fairly decent amount of single good-looking ladies at this thing. I mean, Ooh. you know, uh, Chris is Ooh. looking for a date for Luke's wedding. Anybody can send I think any we got uh, a promising lead, uh, any you know resumes to Callie at Power Athlete HQ. But you know, maybe uh, maybe you can just hang hey, out we're with. We're a month out. Maybe you I'm could just nervous. Maybe you could just hang out with Rudy and just get his fall take out. his drippings. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, that a bad idea. <laughs> you're like you're like I'm Rudy's brother. I'm oh, dude, there you go, Chris Reyes. Yeah, <laughs> no, I'm I'm sincerely prepared to be humbled, honestly. And That's it, like, awesome. I'm intrigued, it, man. It's going to be cool. Chris, are you, you know, speaking it, on I'm, the? I'm psyched, I'm psyched. You guys are coming. Are you I'm, speaking I'm on the balancing technology? Say again. Are you speaking on the balancing technology and performance? Yeah, I'm doing that one, and I'm doing the programming lenses, which is kind of the one we just walked through here. And uh, no, I'm looking forward to it. It's a, it, it'll it, it'll be it'll be a trip. It'll be uh, it'll be fun, and it's um, it's it's good to get um, it's good to get our cadre kind of uh, exposed outside of outside of the box. I'm a big fan of saying, hey, uh, it took a while for Terex to kind of embrace other modalities and other brands, but you know, it, there there is no one answer. Uh, so yeah, I'm psyched. I'm psyched to have you guys. Well, you know, because the answer is actually a combination. Like what people think is uh, every every one thing is going to be like the panacea. This like you know, the TRX is going to be do it. So and like you said, man, it, the people have gotten into this idea of kind of like this mixed modality. And actually, what they're doing is they're kind of periodizing their training and doing kind of multiple things. Uh, I don't know. I can't really get behind the spin shit. Uh, <laughs> Uh, I, I like there was a, a spin uh, studio not far from uh, from where our original gym was. And like they had black lights and music well, and these dudes getting off dancing off the bikes. And it was it was like constantly sold out. And we had some members, <laughs> we had some members. And I think your brother like, yeah, my brother went. They I went to this thing like, it's great. And we're like, you look like shit. Like they just. <laughs> look well, well, the, the reason being is, um, as you know, it's uh, just uh, like if you're constantly trading in that oxidative state, like they it tends to burn a ton of muscle. Muscle, and they end up getting what I like to call uh, the skinny fats where they all look like chewed bubble gum mm -hmm. and like nobody carries a lot of muscle mass. And I'm like, if you can do that, like let's say you wanted to go do it one day a week and you want to lift some weights, I just think you can create a pretty good program if you just kind of mix it up and you add a little variety. The problem is, is when people go deep, man, they just fucking go deep into shit. Well, here's my thing on that. If you're going to hop on the saddle, strap in the clips, grip the grips, and fucking hammer it. <laughs> <laughs> Did you just work on that? Did you write that down? Uh, yeah, I have had that. This is dated 2014. Uh, get, like, I would go mountain biking, man. Like, that sounds like get out in nature, go on a fucking dirt trail, and like. You mean being stuck in a studio with black lights and, and techno no. music? Fucking, uh, that sounds awful to me. No, that's a fuck. That sounds like a rave. Yeah. <laughs> no, a, literally, they it's like a fucking a rave bike. on stationary bikes. Yeah, I can't do it. I've I'm, done, I have done spin class once years ago. Not like that. Just fucking Blade versus Sandstorm. My try days. Well, so. uh, you know, uh, you can go with, uh, hang out over in uh, San Francisco with, uh, you know, Kelly Starrett at the Power Exchange. What's the Power Exchange? That's uh, where Kelly hangs out on the weekends, Power Exchange. <laughs> I have a feeling when people Google that, yeah. it's going to be Look up Kip Power Exchange, you know. Uh, <laughs> Kelly Starrett, Power Exchange. Yeah, Power Exchange. <laughs> I'm going to look that shit up. Yeah, look it up. Ask Kelly. Just do, do, Next time you see Kelly, be like, hey, uh, Wellborn says you're big, uh, that you have a membership at the Power Exchange. And see what he says. Put in Power Exchange, San Francisco. Yeah, I'm on it. I'm just, Chris, uh, I'm just, look, I just want to see the uh, expression on your face when it finally comes up. Okay, yeah, this seems about right. <laughs> <laughs> Chris, any other speaking engagements scheduled for 2018? Uh, no. Um, after I get through this uh, from from the summit, I'm actually going to San Antonio. I'll go do a little work with the Air Force, but um, 
I actually started my, my, my doctoral program 22 years ago. And this summer, I'm finally fucking finishing it. So I'm shutting down everything and going back and uh, writing and, and pushing, out, uh, pushing out a PhD right before I fucking get my AARP card. So that's, uh, <laughs> that's kind of shutting me down for the rest of the, for the, rest of the year. What's, uh, what's your focus there? With the PhD, uh, uh, international culinary arts. He's looking at making wonderful <laughs> souffles, so he's got to get in there. I'm, the, I'm an exercise. I'm an exercise fizz guy. So we're actually looking at using trap bar deadlift for um, uh, working at lactate threshold intensity, but we're also putting a gym wear on there. So we're going to look at uh, velocity changes, metabolic changes, the whole idea of um, uh, little little pure science, and then carry it over to how do we do some of this lower intensity, longer duration as part of a part of another cycle in there. So uh, have, have you been playing with any of the EMS stuff like the power dot? Funny you mentioned that they just uh, they just shot me uh, a set two weeks ago. Love it. Love it. Yeah, I mean, I've I've used it for years. I mean, I found it through Charlie Francis uh, when I ruptured my patellar tendon back in '99. Uh, you know, I connected with him and ended up using that, and that was pretty much like the difference between you know because I I got to a point where I just couldn't get my uh, my quad to fire, and um, you know, mid patellar rupture and was having all this problem toward the retinaculum and was having a ton of nerve issues, and within sort of using the EMS device, and within weeks, all of a sudden it just rewired everything up and. Uh, you know, basically getting max, uh, max motor unit recruitment, finding uh, imbalances. And then we connected with uh, Derek Hansen, who was one of Charlie's apprentices on a podcast, and he was using it to test uh, muscle fiber type. Um, I, I just oh, used cool. it for uh, being able to figure out asymmetry between, you know, uh, like muscle imbalances where, you know, all of a sudden you notice that one quad I can get up to X and one leg I can get up to this. And you kind of look to balance. So we found that within six weeks I can balance them out and, you know, prevent injuries. But Derek was using it for uh, muscle fiber testing and also to see how well recovered his athletes were so yeah he had some super fucking jiggy stuff and then um you know we started really using it for our older athletes who were in a position where you know due to like injury neurological you know um, inefficiency imbalances whatnot uh, we started using it in like a preparatory phase where we're getting motor units to recruit and then putting them into their training deal uh just to you know old guy fucking wake them up and that was we paid big dividends there that's, and what then, that's what I found for it right yeah. away was because uh, I got a I got a bad I got everything bad but especially bad right knee old old ACL mm-hmm. reconstruction from the eighties and that that started to wake that up I'll tell you the toys I'm playing with now um, that the B strong BFR I've been messing around with that for two months the, the the science on it is great and then just the results have been fantastic there's a thing called the body track have you guys heard of this thing called the body track uh, before you get off I was going to tell you you're going to get to the point where you're going to take the B strong and the power dot. And you're going to start that doing. My, that's what I was thinking. Are you doing that? I, I, we've already done all of it. Uh, so I had with our field strong. Well, I don't strong, have to exercise anymore. I can just sleep with that shit on and wake up and look like you'd be all jacked and shit. No, <laughs> unfortunately, no. Uh, we the, tried I, that too. Yeah, we already tried that. It didn't work. But the 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 thing came down to uh, in my field strong program online, we ran complex protocols with uh, I think like we had like over a thousand people in the program, and we had about two hundred to two hundred and fifty regular people for over a year using the EMS. To devices and uh you know kind of offline charting their stuff and it was like dude through the roof but where we saw the biggest performance gains were in guys over age 35 that were using it like all of a sudden like it was a waking up shit that hadn't 
worked in a while, but we started using it too with the B-Strong. Uh, you know, the idea is like, as you think about it, it's forcing a concentric contraction and now all of a sudden you're doing some form of dynamic stretching or, you know, dynamic eccentric mm-hmm. deal. So we started putting it on with the B-Strong and uh, <laughs> it was fucking awful, but a uh, really interesting idea of like, okay, so now I'm basically creating a muscle pooling effect and I'm, you know, driving up all these androgens and this, uh, you know, creating this really potent anabolic, you know, uh, pooling of blood and then I'm going to get max motor unit recruitment. Um, I think there's some really interesting stuff, especially in like kind of like a, like a, maybe like a pre rehab, maybe like phase for it. Like, uh, you know, you have an injury and we're trying to, you know, drive this stuff up. So I think it's some cool shit. I'm, I'm sure you're going to get there. I'm just putting in your head. Cause that's probably right around the corner. Now that you got the devices, you're going to look and be like, what if I just combine well, I put these? these together? Yeah. Didn't you have, best wasn't thing, best thing about the power dot though, was the warning in there to not use it on your genitals, by the way. Yeah. You uh, can do it. We, we tried it. Yeah. Well, yeah. well, well the, the, <laughs> the one that put that in there, someone had done that shit. I'm like, ah, yeah. but then, so, you, then you just pop and think, well, the, and you're like, no, I probably should. The, so Chris, the, the one that way- fucked us up, uh, I was telling these guys the other day as I put, uh, I did the, the, uh, the BFR on the arms and the legs. And then I was in there and I was like, you know what? I'm going to do a little lactic acid threshold test where we do like 30 seconds max out on the air, on the assault bike, rest two minutes and you do it five times. And then you look for your max score. And, uh, I was like, let me just do this occluded and see how it goes. And fucking all of a sudden, like, uh, I got to the first one. I was like, Oh, this isn't that bad. And then all of a sudden by the last one, I was like, you know, you're seeing fucking stars, you're fucking, you know, (laughs) having a problem. So, uh, yeah. I, I just like getting a pitting myself because anything that happens, I know I can't fucking get blamed for it. I'll be like, I did this to myself. I'll be okay. And didn't you burn yourself on your first EMS unit? Just go up as high as you can until it literally uh, burns. So, skin? so the, no. So the secret to EMS and what everybody fucks up. And I just remember Charlie's statement was, uh, the minute that you feel like I got this, ramp it up. You should end every session with like a thin bead of sweat on your upper lip. So like his idea is the minute that you get any like normalcy or accommodation, like you ramp it up and it hurts for a little bit. The minute you think like, oh, this isn't this bad, you ramp it up or you give it to somebody and you let them just keep fucking ramping it up right. based off of <laughs> based off of the uh, expression on your face where all of a sudden like when your face gets normal, I want you just to turn it up. So you'd be like, oh, oh it's not, oh. Yeah, and I'm, I'm not a sports scientist, but that was the technique we used for the genital application is <laughs> you don't control the intensity that is on your genitals your bro does well actually they found that at kelly starrett at the power exchange <laughs> is that why it's called the, the power, power exchange, exchange? <laughs> uh, so long this episode st- brought to you by the power exchange <laughs> so the power exchange is a weird fetish club in san francisco <laughs> and uh uh i had a couple of guys that i know in college that decided to go in there and i guess they walked in as some dude was getting chained up and was getting hit with a cattle prod and they just turned around and walked out like some dude was basically just getting cattle prodded like and that dude was kelly starrett is that, what that- <laughs> <laughs> we got him uh, poor kelly getting- <laughs> kelly's just getting roasted poor guy uh, he's not even here to defend himself <laughs> oh we love you kelly <laughs> <laughs> oh, I was going to say one more thing because I know you guys probably have to go. But this, this, there's a product out there called Body Track. So it's basically think of a of a doormat that's both a pressure plate and a force plate. But Kelly and I were actually, I think Kelly posted a few things on there, so you can get on there in bare feet and you know start squatting, start doing kettlebell swings, start doing overhead press, and so now you can pressure map, you know what what's going on in your foot. Yeah, force again, vibrating. No, it's not vibrating. You, oh, you, you're, it's telling you what's going. So now, you know, if if um, 
if you think you may have a weight shift from left to right, front to back, uh, or, you know, force plates are great to tell you how much force I'm putting in the ground, but how am I getting that? Am I back of my heels? I'm on the outside edge. Am I up on that foot? Hey, mm-hmm. make, make sure I got good toe mobility on there. It's been, uh, that, that's probably been one of the, the, the quality pieces of equipment been messing around with. Get it, get your hands down there, do push-ups. Hey, are you, uh, are you, are you lighting up different on the left hand than you're on the right hand? It, it maps your center of pressure. So as you go down, so once again, this whole idea of just using technology enough to check in to see if I'm doing things the right way. And then uh, the other one I'm really digging is the, um, the torque sled. You guys seen that torque sled yeah. where it, it's uh, the wheels, the wheels on it. And then it just has like a fixed speed on there. I'm a big fan of sled stuff on there. So yeah. messing around with all those things to try and figure out how to, to fit them into the program the right way. Yeah, no, I, I'd, I'd like to get one of those torque sleds. I saw Mark Bell using it. And I, uh, when I went and did some research on it, I, uh, I was like, man, I really like that stuff. So we have um, our methodology course ends with a, uh, a deal we call our block one, which they the people that pass our methodology course come out here to Austin, Texas, and they have a two to three day deal depending on, you know, uh, we've done it both ways. But, um, you know, like they have to come out, they not only have to like uh, be able to come in and train, but also teach and be able to understand the methodology. And we go through it. And my actual fun part is I get to put them through something, just whatever I want. So last time I found like a big log in a chain, I made them drag it up a hill, but I was going to get one of these and push. And then, uh, I can't remember, but the next one, I, I'm, I'm going to basically make a piece of equipment. I really like that cross. Don't uh, give it away. Oh yeah. I'm okay. I'm, I'm not even gonna say it, but uh, we're gonna design a piece of equipment here that's gonna fucking end their souls. Mm-hmm. Homemade, yeah. homemade, yeah. Because I, I have a uh, uh, like a machine, like Fab Shop, and like I have a five thousand square foot building. Half is the gym, and the other half is uh, basically like a machine kind of Fab Shop, so I can make anything. Oh, and nice. so we just make fucking everything, and I'm gonna I'm gonna make some crazy shit for these people. I'm gonna fuck their. Are world. you guys all gonna be at Summer Strong? Oh yeah, yes mm-hmm. sir. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to be there. I might have to be in the lab, but I, if I, I missed it last year, I really don't want to miss it again, but it was great. And it was, uh, um, I'm sad. I, last year was my first year that I missed the last nine yeah, before that. So I, it was a great event. I I'm stoked to go this year. Well, Chris, man, we're running low on time, cool. running low on battery on yeah. this laptop. Cause it's not plugged in like a fucking hack, but thanks man for taking the time. It was a fun chat. Uh, and I'm, I'm a, we'll see you in a week, man. And I think, are we going to be airing that week? Yeah, we'll drop this the Friday before yeah. so, before the big event and hopefully awesome. reel some last Yeah, man, look forward to meet you guys straight up. And then uh, you guys got to figure out how to come out here and we'll all make a trip to the power exchange. And then next time I'm in. Uh, <laughs> we'll I'm just jump in Kelly Subaru. Let's get in <laughs> Kelly got, Subaru. You guys he he has preferred parking. Some, or some bullshit you guys do in Austin. I don't know what's called. <laughs> Sounds good, man. I'm excited. Yeah, I look forward you. to it. Thank you. Thank you. See you. See you, man. Bye-bye. Now it's time for you to empower your performance. I realize that this episode is dropping just mere hours before the TRX Trainer Summit in Austin, Texas, but that doesn't necessarily mean you can't sign up, drop in, or beg at the door like an exercise peasant. For more information on TRX or the summit, head to www.trxtraining.com or type TRX into the old Instagram and you'll see that roughly 17 different handles uh, exist to satisfy all of your strap-related inquiries. May the fourth be with you, and until next time, bye!